Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to episode 65 of Conquering Columbus. And uh, we got a great show lined up for you today. And our guest today is the CEO of what is the oldest fast food chain in America. And also happens to be famous for a variety of reasons, but among them, a certain movie featuring a couple of guys named Harold and Kumar. And if you haven't guessed it by now, our guest this episode is Lisa Ingram, CEO of White Castle. So we definitely think you guys will get a lot out of this episode, and we hope you enjoy it. Before we get to that interview, though, guys, I want to take a moment and ask you all for a quick favor. Go ahead, pick up that phone of yours you're listening to this on, and uh, check out your podcast app, whether it's iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, uh, whatever you like to listen on. Uh, There will be a subscribe button, and if you click that, it will make sure that you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. And the last thing we want to do before we start the show is take the time to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with our friends over at AWH. For those of you who haven't heard of AWH, they are a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm. And with over 22 years of experience, AWH collaborates with a variety of clients to drive desired business outcomes through great digital products. To find out more, check out awh.net. And let them know Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. For more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. All right, Conkers, that's all we got. Let's get this show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. We're live at the White Castle headquarters with Lisa Ingram, the CEO. Mrs. Lisa Ingram has been CEO and president of White Castle since she took over as a fourth-generation owner in 2015, and it's been in the family's ownership since it was founded in 1921. Uh, They were selling a small hamburger at the time called a slider for five cents, and uh, Lisa was ColumbusCEO.com's CEO of the year in 2016, and she earned an MBA in operations and consulting from the Fisher College of Business in 2000. And she also happens to be married to Greg Guy, who we interviewed previously on the show. 
Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Lisa. Thank you. I'm very honored to be here. We're excited to have you here. Yeah, How's your day thanks. going so far? It has been going well. It's been going well. Thanks. That's good. So what's a typical day look like around here at the White Castle headquarters? Yeah. So, you know, it every day is a little different, which is fun. That keeps it interesting. Um, but it's a lot of, you know, my life is a lot of work, but I also have four kids at home. So it's a lot of logistics and making sure I'm getting everybody the right place and I'm in the right place. And, um, you know, the, the most fun days for me are really not necessarily when I have an opportunity to come in here, but also when I have an opportunity to go out into the castles and um, interact with the team members and um, interact with the customers. So I try to do that as much as I can. And typically where we like to try to set the groundwork is talk about maybe start from the beginning and we talk about childhood and sure. um, your way up through your education and then college and then kind of then we'll dive into deeper about what you got going okay, on. Okay, as long as we don't bring out any pictures of me in college or anything that would embarrass me that's strictly fine. audio okay great <laughs> so maybe let's start with like the where you grew up at and then sure. like any siblings or family mm -hmm. members okay so I grew up here in Columbus so I'm born mm -hmm. and bred Columbus I uh, went to Arlington schools my whole career um, I actually have I have six no I have five siblings um, two sisters and three brothers and we are a blended family so um, I have a brother a sister a stepbrother a stepsister and a half-brother but we all grew up together, so they're they're like siblings. Um, so that blend happened when you were younger, then. Like? Yeah. So my parents, um, my parents got divorced when I was about eleven, and my dad got remarried when I was like sixteen. So my stepsister and stepbrother have been in my life for a really much longer time than they weren't. So it's um, it's great to have that, and um, you know, so when I was eighteen, though, I really wanted to get the heck out of Ohio. Um, I wanted warmer weather and I wanted a bigger city. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, Columbus was not as cool as it is now. And so to be able to go and go to Dallas, Texas to SMU was a great experience for me. It was a great sized school. It had a really good business school and that's what I thought I wanted to go to, go into. And I had a wonderful time, um, sort of being independent, being on my own and really learned a lot and had lots of fun. And after college, I actually, um, I got a job. Well, while I was in college, I actually had a couple of jobs. One, um, I did an internship with John Glenn, which was really cool. So I got to work in Washington, D.C., because at one point I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And so to be able to work in our nation's capital and see how government worked was really, really enlightening to me. Um, and I enjoyed working for the senator. And then I also had the opportunity to wait tables. So there's a bar and grill in Dallas called Snuffers. And um, I waited tables, tables for about three years. And I tell a lot of people this, that I think everybody should work in some form of hospitality um, uh, sometime in their life, because I think it really teaches you a lot of great skills. It teaches you time management. It teaches you multitasking. It teaches you how to be um, very interactive with customers, which are very applicable, obviously, in the restaurant industry, but also in many other industries as well. And so um, I did those during college. And then I had an opportunity after college. I got a job in Dallas because I wanted to get a job where nobody knew my name and um, where I could sort of go and make my own mistakes and figure out really what I wanted to do. Um, so I worked for a company called Daisy Tech, which is a computer supplies wholesale distributor. And I did that for about five years. I did product development, um, purchasing, new products, and then I ended up in marketing because uh, I got my degree from SMU in marketing and finance. And um, that was a great opportunity as well and a young, fun company that um, 
provided me a lot of opportunities to do many different things within that company. So I enjoyed it. And growing up with the family business around you, and then as you went off and kind of took your own path, were there any specific thoughts going through your head on what you kind of had mapped out for the future of your life? Did you think that you would come back? Or as you were going through that, did you think you would climb the ranks of the company you were involved in? No. I, when I was growing up, and I think this is true for my other cousins as well, that there was no expectation that myself or any of us would come back and work in the family business. It was something that our parents and our grandparents were, certainly they exposed us to, they talked to us about. Um, we were very proud of the fact that we were in the family, but we were supposed to go out and figure out what we wanted to do and what our passions were. And for some of us, that ended up being here. And for others of us, it was in other areas. And then, you know, for me, it was in another area, but then I came back um, and I had an opportunity I had worked at Daisy Tech for about five years, and I was doing marketing, and the marketing job opened up here at White Castle. And so at that time, I was trying to decide whether I was going to stay at Daisy Tech or I was thinking about leaving, um, and I, I I missed home, and I decided that it was Forgot good. how cold it was here. Yeah, I forgot how cold it was. <laughs> I did. I came back, and my blood was very thin, and um, I had a little bit of a Texas um, drawl and said y'all a lot, and... Um, but it was a good time for me to come back, and so I did that and um, really enjoyed I worked in marketing for two years here at White Castle. And then I actually left again and went and got my MBA at Fisher because I felt like there were some other things that I, I wanted to learn. And I did, a, um, I did my internship at Hewlett Packard, actually in Boise, Idaho, and did a European channel strategy. So I got a little bit of international experience with that internship as well, which was really cool. So... Um, and I thought I would go into consulting. And when I was evaluating sort of all my options and looking at the opportunities here, I decided that I wanted to come back. And it was a good fit. And I've been back since 2000. So um, I'm, now, I'm now up to year 17, which still makes me a rookie um, in this company. But it's been a really nice experience to come back and work in the business. But there's no, there was no expectation by my grandparents or my parents that, that – that I would come back or that any of us would come back. But fortunately, there are nine of us in the business. And so that's a wonderful thing to have in a family business is to have many family members that are interested in the business and um, involved in the business. And nine for our size is is fine. Yeah, and then so when you got that MBA operations and consulting from Fisher, that kind of yeah. gave you a real well, well-rounded <laughs> yes. experience. Yes. And so did was that kind of in your mind, in the back of your head, like maybe I might take over the family business someday and it would be nice to have all of this at all? Yeah, actually, when I came back to the business and I worked in marketing, I liked marketing, but it wasn't the it, it wasn't the area that I really, really loved. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, the, one of the first things I said is I wanted to be out in the restaurants. And so I would, when I would go out in the restaurants, I loved the energy, I loved the experience. When I worked at Snuffers, it was great. I mean, it was tiring, it was exhausting, but it was really a very, very energetic, and I loved interacting with the people in the restaurants. So I got the consulting um, and operations to help me be more well-rounded as an individual because I got my undergraduate in business and finance, and then to get operations and consulting in my MBA I thought would make me very well-rounded, which would be great for White Castle or any other business that I wanted to go into. And I find it interesting, a lot of your experiences were with tech companies when you went off and kind of did your own thing. So mm -hmm. your time at Hewlett Packard, maybe, can we talk a little bit more about some of the projects you worked on there and how you related those tech experiences back to 
uh, food service products? Sure. So when I first um, was in the tech industry, the thing that was really that I really liked about it, it was constantly changing. There was always something new, always some new product, um, always some new technology, and so it, it was really exciting. And I find this very similar thing in the restaurant industry. So if you think about restaurants and food trends, there's always something new, always something exciting, some new flavor, some new concept, some new way to deliver food. And so that was one of the things that I was, I was actually kind of worried about leaving the tech industry because I thought, well, the restaurant industry isn't going to be as exciting. But when I got in, I, I was just blown away at how similar they are in terms of being young, being um, energetic, always changing, always doing something different, um, trying to figure out what the next innovation is and how it can be applicable to not only technology but also food um, is really, really fun, I think, about both industries. So there was a natural sort of um, leap for me to go into the restaurant industry because it had many of the same qualities as the tech industry. Yeah, one of the things that I find particularly um, exciting, I guess, about any food service related industry is that you have kind of the time aspect of perishables and things that you have to deal with, with mm-hmm. your channels, and mm-hmm. then on top of that, you know, there's markets for these food products that right. go up and down, and uh, Mike and I spent some time working at a produce distributor in um, northeastern Ohio, Okay. and the way that they would buy their certain products and take options on things, and it was almost like a, a mini Wall Street market right, inside, right. which yeah. is really interesting. So, but I guess to translate, that was just my own enthusiasm, it wasn't really a question, but to translate that in, back into a question, so when you started... Um, climbing the ranks within White Castle once you were back here. What did that kind of process look like in a more granular fashion? And what do you think really helped set you apart from the other individuals that were kind of along the same path as you? Sure. So when I came back, I was director of operations, um, and I wanted to get some operational experience. And I give my father and my aunts, the third generation, and really our board. So we actually moved to a board of directors that has outside um, independent directors, which is somewhat unique for family businesses. And that transition, along with the willingness of my dad and my aunts to sort of put the, be very transparent about the CEO succession process. And so there were three of us actually that were interested in being considered for the CEO, president CEO position. And so the three of us worked with a family business advisor who we've used for many, many, many years to do 360 analysis on all of us from team members here, from family members. Um, And then the three of us took that analysis and sat down in a room and really talked about our strengths, each of our strengths and our weaknesses and what would be the most benefit to the company lining up with those strengths. So it was a really, really collaborative, transparent process that I think Many many family businesses unfortunately don't have the oppor- or not don't have the opportunity, but maybe don't have the the respect and relationship that we did to be able to go through that process in a way that allows the transition to be relatively smooth and relatively transparent from one generation to the next. So, um, so that was really I think very very important to my ascending to the role because I had the support and the buy-in of the other family members that I was the right person for the job because of my ability to look at operations and be strategic and my other two counterparts who were also interested they're in roles that are very very beneficial to the company one is very focused on our people which 
we have 10,000 employees, and that's a huge benefit to the organization. And one of them is focused on our manufacturing and our plants, which is also another big portion of our business. We have five manufacturing facilities and three um, retail plants. And so we're all in places where we can add the most value to the company. And I think that that's, that's the biggest benefit to White Castle. Yeah, I think that says a big testament to your guys' success up to this point, because I think it takes a lot from a person and a group and a family to step back and kind of say, I want the best for the entity rather than the best for myself. Right. And especially when you put in that much work up to where you are today. Yeah. So I think what I'm curious to hear about, too, is how is that aspect of being in a family business? I mean, you talked about it a little bit there, but maybe a little bit more on what it's like to work with your family members and kind of balance, you know, that relationship with business. Is it kind of when you show up to work, is it like a different persona type thing or...? Uh, no, I would say that I'm, I feel very, very fortunate because all of the family members that work in the business are really, really passionate about the business. They work very, very hard, and they add value in the jobs that they're in. So, you know, when, I, when I'm having conversations, I have, I have one family member that reports to me, but we have, we have some other relationships. We try not to do that too much. We try to ha- not have family members report to family members, but in some situations, that's unfortunately or that's not unfortunately, that's just how um, it works out. And so when I have to have a difficult conversation with the family member that reports to me, you know, I, I have it, but I, but I have the same respect and admiration for that person as I do for every other direct report that um, I'm talking to. So I don't think my approach is any different. Um, and I think that on the receiving end, hopefully they know that I'm not, um, I'm having a conversation about their their business behaviors and how if they do certain things that will improve the output for the business and that's the thing that we all collectively want Mm -hmm. and so you know those conversations are not always easy even if you're not talking to your family member I mean so um, they're they're often challenging conversations no matter who you're talking to and you want to make sure that you do it in the most respectful way to the individual and so that's what I always try to do yeah and to kind of branch off of that um, I know that culture at White Castle, specifically for your work, your team, your management team, mm-hmm. and your employees is a big thing. I mean, there was, as I was reading an article doing, you know, doing our initial research to uh, for this interview, I'd noticed that um, 98.6% of general management at White Castle started behind the counter. Yes. So, how does that culture? I mean, how does that culture play into what we were just talking about? And how do you build a culture like that where people stay with the company? through the ranks. Yeah, so one of my favorite stats, and this is probably where they got that number, is um, we have 450 restaurant leadership positions and 442 of them started behind the counter and worked their way up. And the way that we, and and promoting from within is really, really important to us. Mm -hmm. It has been something that we very much try to do, but we have gone outside. But we really want to promote from within because we believe that our team members who have been with us for a long time have learned um, about the great parts of White Castle. They will continue to, to contribute as they move up the ladder. I think when you ask team members about why they work at White Castle, the first thing they usually say is it's about the family. And they're not necessarily talking about the family that owns White Castle. They're really talking about the family in their region or in their district or in their castle because they may see my face 
you know, once a year if, if I'm lucky to get out to visit their particular castle, but they see their general manager every day. And their general manager is the person that runs the store. They're the one that creates the culture in that store. They're the one that creates that family feeling in that store. And so it's really important to us that we make sure that those general managers and the people that are out in the regions are creating a culture that feels like a family and where our team members feel valued, where they feel like they're being heard, where they feel like they have the ability to grow. And we've been able to do that over the last um, 96 years. Now, I think that um, the thing that we need to make sure that we're focused on in the future is adapting to the changing needs of the team members. Because what um, what we were able to do for a team member 40 years ago is not necessarily going to be the same, may not be the same thing that a team member today wants. Um, in terms of making, you know, in 40 years ago, they wanted, they were very interested in our benefits, um, retirement benefits, and different things like that. Today, they want to make sure that they're getting challenged and that their day is not, you know, not the same every day and that they're learning new skills that they can either stay with White Castle or take someplace else. And so just making sure that we're aware of what our team members want today and providing that, I think, is really important. And it's interesting that you touch on that because, you know, we had uh, Kimmy Wernley with Crazy Richard's Peanut Butter. Oh, yeah. They're kind of a family business, too. Mm-hmm. And she talked about how their family culture, actually the other people come in, feel like they're part of the family. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you guys kind of have a similar thing coming on where mm-hmm. it started at the core with family values mm-hmm. and a family company and it's branched mm-hmm. out to the other employees, which initially it almost seems like you hear things about family working in, in environments together and it's like, it, it never really is good stories. It's always the right. bad ones that make it out. But it's right. very interesting how, like, two successful companies have found a way to make that culture spread right. and use it in a positive light, which is very cool. But where I want to go from here is talk a little bit about becoming a CEO um, as a woman is not as popular as, you know, it should be. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of not a lot of women in leadership positions across the United States or the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's slowly changing as, you know, we're – growing as a culture and a community, mm-hmm. but can you talk about kind of the, some of the challenges that you personally had to overcome to sit in a room with people and kind of have an executive presence and I guess just, I don't know if there was any lack of respect ever, but maybe just any challenges that you had to overcome to get to where you are. Um, I think that there's always a, eh, always is probably not a strong word. I have certainly had a couple of occasions where I felt like my gender was a um, an obstacle for certain people initially, but I think after getting to know me, that became less and less and less of an issue. But I do know that that certainly happens. Um, you know, just recently I was at a conference. I don't know in May, and I had a an older gentleman. Um, um, it wasn't really my gender. He was uh, he was ma- he was making a comment about um, how young I was. And um, that I, uh, he called me a kiddo, which I haven't been called a kiddo in a really, really long time. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting to just be aware of those instances when they happen and make sure that as leaders, we're not doing those instances in our, um, the world that we control and helping to make sure that people are very aware of the internal biases that all of us have um, and trying to make sure that we instill in our cultures a love and respect of diversity, whether that's gender, whether that's race, whether that's age, et cetera. 
And so that's what we continue to try to do at White Castle. We have a very diverse population uh, because a lot of our castles have been in the same locations for 60 or 70 years. And so we have seen sort of cycles of, you know, they started out as uh, downtown locations because that's where the population was. And then the suburbs, moved, the people moved out to the suburbs and we've still in the, been in those locations and now people are moving back into the downtown locations. So we've seen a lot of our locations go through many um, demographic and psychographic changes, but we have been a consistent, um, what we call a beacon of light in uh, many of those locations. And we're honored to be part of those communities and continue to support those communities. And part of something that you talked about in there was a little bit about leadership and mm-hmm. kind of your outtake on it. And I think something that I personally struggle with is just, you know, looking young in a work environment and trying to take a leadership position. So mm-hmm. you talked about looking young and being a woman. And at the same time, you know, that's got to be a, a tough dynamic. So what kind of mindset did you take throughout your career that's kind of helped you become a strong leader and, you know, kind of put other people's interests before yourself? Sure. So there are a couple of things that I like to do. One is show um, a curiosity about what people do, um, you know, asking lots of questions, and then providing reflections on my experience. So not necessarily saying, oh, well, you should do X, Y, and Z, but, oh, that's interesting. When I was at Daisy Tech, I had this experience, and I think that's a little similar to how, um, to your experience you're describing there, and this is what I did. So it allows people to learn from you if they choose, but it's not, it's not um, as direct as saying, well, you should do X, Y, and Z. So especially when you're in a peer network, that I think um, allows you to gain respect and admiration without um, being the one that says, well, you should do this and you should do that and appear like you know everything. Um, I think the other thing that I tried to do is walk in people's shoes a lot. So one of the things that I did when I came back in 2000 is I would actually go out and work in the castles in um, every Friday. And I did that because, one, I wanted to be close to the customers and close to the team members. But two, I was one of the very, very few people that hadn't grown up in the business, or not hadn't grown up, but hadn't started out behind the counter and worked their way up. And I needed to earn some respect with the general managers, the regional directors, that I understood some of the challenges that they actually faced in the castles. And so by working in the castles, I had the opportunity to say, oh yeah, you know, I had an incident when I was working on the grill and this customer came up and brought all the burgers back and I I had just made them, but the customer said they were cold. And so I had to, you know, smile at the customer and give them new burgers. And it, that's that's a little thing, but it shows that I am willing, I, I one, I think that their, their jobs are very important and that I'm willing to put myself in their situations and that I can empathize and relate to a lot of the challenges that they may face on an everyday basis, which... I think as a leader is really, really important, especially for the organizations where you have a corporate office that is separated from the actual day-to-day interaction with the customer. So one of the things that we do here at White Castle is every May is National Hamburger Month. So every May, every person in this corporate office goes out and works in either one of our castles or one of our plants. Um, It's just a little reminder of, you know, 
being able to interact with the team members and being able to interact with the customers um, face to face that um, allows us to do our jobs better here because our job at the home office is to help make their jobs in the restaurants and the plants easier. Absolutely. And I guess transitioning a little bit here, um, one thing that I was always interested in asking you about was uh, White Castle's been around a really long time. Yes. Uh, widely regarded as actually probably the oldest fast food restaurant, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And so how do you balance managing that tra- tradition right. of four generations of family business and keeping up with food trends right. and the changing environment? Right. So we we ask this question a lot, um, and really it comes down to understanding your customer. And for us, we know that our core customer loves our burgers, and they they don't want us to do anything to, to our burgers. They want to keep them the same. Um, they may let us put cheese on it. It actually took us 60 years. Is that right? 21? No. Um, it actually took us 40 years to add cheese slices to our hamburgers. So we didn't actually <laughs> add cheese until 1960-something. Um, so understanding your customers and what they really want. But you also have to look at what the consumer trends are. And what we saw was that beef was declining. And so for a company that um, relies a lot on beef hamburgers being sold, that's a little concerning. And so we looked at our brand and said, okay, how can we um, sort of pivot our brand and be known, certainly not, not mess with our core product, but also sort of expand our product base to stay on trend and to entice customers to come in and try some things. And so over the last eight years, we've done more product development than we have probably in the last 80. And that's been very intentional because we want to make sure that if beef does continue to decline, that we're able to offer products to people um, that aren't just hamburger related. And I think we've done a pretty good job of introducing some new products. So we have a great grilled chicken sandwich. Um, We have our chicken rings, which my kids love. We also have a really, really amazing breakfast sandwich, which is a fresh cracked egg on the grill. Nobody else um, in QSR does that. And you can get that with sausage or bacon, um, and you can get them either on our bun or toast or on our Belgian waffles that we actually buy from Belgium and ship over here. (laughs) Um, We also have a veggie slider. Uh, We recently this year introduced a black bean slider. And we've expanded into smoothies, which are real fruit smoothies with yogurt, which is very different than what other QSRs offer as well. And um, so from a product development standpoint, we have really focused on making sure that we have great beef sliders, but we also have lots of other sliders, whether that's, um, whether that's turkey, whether that's chicken, whether that's egg, um, whether that's veggie, black bean, whatever. Um, So it allows us to offer more variety, which is definitely a trend, and it allows our customers to experiment. So if they really like the beef slider, they can get two hamburgers, but they can also maybe get a chicken or maybe get a veggie slider to go along as well. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned it allows your customers to experiment there, but I guess my follow-up question would be, is it difficult getting new customers to try uh, White Castle, especially when that brand, your brand is very well known and it's very, when people think White Castle, they think 
hamburger sliders. Yep. So getting people who maybe wouldn't try beef but might otherwise try the chicken mm-hmm. or the veggie sliders. How mm-hmm. what's the process for that like and how do you go about getting these new customers to try White Castle? So we our veggie slider is actually a great example. We have had customers come in who wouldn't who actually maybe grew up on White Castle but have been vegetarians for the last 10 years. So they haven't been to White Castle in the last 10 years. When we introduce the veggie slider and when we follow it up with the with the black bean slider, we get customer comments that say, oh my gosh, I'm now coming back to White Castle because you have this product offering. Same thing with the breakfast. So there are lots of opportunities for us with these sliders to introduce our brand, again, to people that may either know White Castle but aren't interested in the beef slider or only come to White Castle every once in a while. Um, the challenge for us really isn't our product offering. It is our marketing because, you know, we compete against very, very big players. And so we have to make sure that we're focusing on what's unique. We have to be different. We have to break through. And that's challenging when you compare their marketing budget size to the size of our marketing budget. So we use a lot of digital. We do use a lot of social, which we have great engagement um, on our social. If you follow us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, we have a lot of really loyal customers and a lot of people that talk about White Castle. So we're using those avenues to help create some word of mouth. Um, and when we go out and do, you know, product, when we have two food trucks. And so we've used our food trucks as well at different events to introduce and give out samples of our new products to people. Because most people know what a White Castle slider tastes like. Um, but they may not have tried our breakfast sandwich or our veggie slider. So we try to bring those products out as well to introduce people. And we've had um, lots of people say that they're really excited about it and really good and want to go back and try either the breakfast or the veggie or the chicken, whatever we're offering. And following up on that topic of marketing, obviously, you know, world-renowned movie, Harold and Kumar, yeah. Go to White Castle. Kind of, Can you talk about how that evolved and how that all came together and sure. was created? Sure. So uh, Harold and Kumar was actually written by two guys from Jersey. Uh, they wrote a screenplay about White Castle, which is not that unusual. We've had people write plays about us. We've had people write songs about us. I mean, the Beastie Boys wrote a song about us. Um, so that was not unusual. But it, what what was interesting about this particular screenplay is, is that New Line Cinema actually picked it up and decided they wanted to make a movie out of it. And so when that happened, they had to come to us and ask for permission, obviously, to use our name in the movie. And... Um, my father was the one that that uh, was here at the time and made the call, um, and he asked, you know, two really important questions. One, does the movie um, make fun of our team members or our products? And if you think about the movie, it doesn't. Um, does it ever make fun of our customers? No. Um, and so using those two filters, while we don't endorse everything that happens to Harold and Kumar or that they do... <laughs> Um, it's really about two guys and their love of a brand and the lengths that they will go through to get their crave. And that's very, very true of many of our customers. And, you know, we have a Cravers Hall of Fame and we have lots of examples of customers that go through similar quests to them to get their, um, their crave of White Castle product. And speaking of some of those Hall of Famers, we've got some pictures of uh, Stan Lee back here, and uh, Alice Cooper sitting on the throne of yes. uh, White Castle. So it seems like you guys got some pretty, uh, some pretty famous people, some people that, you know, the brand is obviously really well known. So 
Um, I guess my question to follow up on all of this would be, how do you maintain that brand as an image? And especially when you're competing with large, large brands yeah. like McDonald's or Wendy's, some of these bigger chain names. Right. I think we focus on, we, we try to stay focused on who we are and what makes us unique. So what makes us unique really are two things. One is we have a very unique product um, that people have grown up for generations. And you know they're, they may have gone to White Castle for the first time with their grandparents or their parents or their their best buds in college. And we want to perpetuate, we call those memorable moments, perpetuate those stories. And they hopefully had a great interaction with the food. They hopefully had a great interaction with the team members because our team members have been around so long. If you come to White Castle, we're going to start knowing, knowing your name. It's going to feel like, you know, Norm from Cheers. That may be, oh, that may be too old of a reference. Nobody may know what that is. But um, we're going to know your name and we're going to know um, – that you like your burgers a certain way and that um, you come in every Tuesday. And so by having, by having you know, unique products and having team members that care and an environment that um, allows you to have quality products in a, in a fun way, whether you're playing with the boxes or whether um, you know, our packaging of 30 burgers in a Crave case or our packaging of 100 burgers in a Crave crate is going to help you have a better tailgate party or birthday party or wedding or whatever, we're very, very willing um, to make those occasions as memorable as we can be and be part of it. And then to talk a little bit about you guys were kind of trying to figure out, you know, who you are and what you're good at. And I think sometimes companies find it hard to actually tell themselves the truth in mm -hmm. that area. So have mm -hmm. you guys sought any outside consultancy in that aspect when you sit down and you go through those evaluation processes or has it come pretty natural for you guys just to be really transparent and say, this is it and we don't have any blinders on? Oh gosh, I think it's always, always, always good to get outside opinions. So when I talked about our board of directors, I think they have been a huge help to us to make sure that we don't get too insular focused um, so we have an outside board of directors, or yeah, um, independent, I should not use the word outside. We have an independent board of directors that allows us to um, make sure that we don't get blinders on in our view of ourselves. And they ask really good questions. They um, challenge us on things, well, why do you keep doing this if you've done this for 30 years? Have you thought about doing it differently? Um, and we also make sure that we're trying new things. So, for example, we did a um, we did a project with Food Beast this year that allowed us to take our product and give it to very high end chefs and have them create some cool things with it. Um, and uh, so, I think there were four or five episodes of that, and it was really fun to see what they would come up with and how they would take our burger and sort of transform it. And one of the chefs was local here to Columbus. And so we're willing to do those types of things, whereas other brands may not be willing to do that. And so I think that's a competitive advantage for us. Let's talk a little bit about the goals for the company over the next five, 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, aside from product expansion, product expansion and marketing, mm -hmm. what are kind of like the high level goals for you and your vision of the company in the next five to 10 years? Sure, so we wanna grow. We wanna continue to grow our company. And uh, we want to make sure that we're doing it profitably. So those are obviously two big, big goals. Uh, the third one for us is being the best places to work. And um, that is something that we feel like we um, are definitely a great place to work. Um, 
but there are things that we can continue to do to make sure that all of our team members feel that way and not um, not just a, a certain few. And so those are kind of our three big focal points that we focus on, increasing sales, um, making sure that we're growing profitably so that we can reinvest in the business, and then also being a great place to work. And so what are some of those things that you're doing to influence that third goal? Oh, being the best place to work. Mm -hmm. So we are, um, we always talk a lot about culture. And one of the things, we do a team member engagement survey, and we do this every other year. And so we just got our results back and are looking at those. But one of the things that has um, been on that survey for a couple of years that we've been focusing on is team member development. So how do they become a better leader? How do they move up in the organization? How do they get new skills? And I think this is always a challenge for larger corporations because um, you want to provide team members an opportunity to grow. And when someone says they've worked at a company for 30 or 40 years, you're looking at it, how can you do the same job for 30 or 40 years? Well, when I worked at um, when I work at Daisy Tech, I mean, I haven't had the same job for the last 17 years. I've had different jobs over that iteration. When I worked at Hewlett Packard, people moved around all the time. So I think in large organizations, if you're a good large organization, you figure out ways to move your team members around so that they can get different skills and different learning experiences. In a smaller organization, a lot of times everybody's doing everything, and so you um, you get you get a, you get sort of fire by or experienced by fire um, in a smaller organization. And so I think really focusing on that, making sure that you know we are offering good benefits and um, um, the good benefits package for our team members is certainly important. But it really is our focus has been really around leadership and development and growth because a lot of times since so many people have you know they come to white castle and they think oh i'll only be here for a few months um you know until i get enough money to buy a car enough money to um you know get an apartment or whatever but they end up staying for 20 30 or 40 years and so making sure that we're challenging them and giving them opportunities to grow within white castle but also um go to different restaurant conferences if those are available and learn about things outside of the White Castle wall as well because that'll make them better team members in White Castle. As we begin to kind of wrap things up, one of the final questions I'm curious about is when you wake up in the morning and you're, and you're driving on your way to work, what are some of the biggest things in your head, whether positive or negative, that you're focusing on over 2017 and maybe like just the next couple months after that that you really want to get rolling within the organization? You know, I think that... Um, Looking at how we can continue to build really good leaders is definitely one of them. Um, because if we have really good leaders, we're going to be able to retain really good team members. And then secondly is, you know, our brand is we have 380 restaurant locations, and that's, that's great, and we want to grow that. But there's so much opportunity for us to grow as well on the retail side. And that business for us is about 20% of our overall sales. And um, there's lots of opportunity for us to expand that business, um, offer new products through that business. And so we do a lot of talking and thinking about how can we get more of our retail product out to consumers. Because if you think about how people will eat in the future, um, whether everybody's going to be willing to come to a restaurant versus expecting restaurants to figure out how to get the products to them wherever they are, whether that's in a park, whether that's at their office, you know, whether wherever they are, I think it's going to be the next big sort of transformation. 
And I think we have a lot of opportunity to do that um, with our retail products. And so we think a lot about that. If you ask Mike, you better be focused on Mars because he thinks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was about to say, I'm imagining some, some slider drones, you know, right. like dropping, yeah, yeah. dropping boxes of sliders yeah. on your doorstep. We did. We had one of those for April Fool's. It was cool. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been fun. Yeah. But uh, so one of the last questions we always like to ask centered around the theme of our show, which is live uncomfortably. Okay. So without telling you any more than that, what do you think of when you hear the phrase and how does it apply to your life? So live uncomfortably. Um, I think that I think that as human beings, the phrase live uncomfortably will make our hearts sort of race a little bit because as human beings, I think we really like um, stability and, and doing things the same, but everybody knows that you don't really grow in that respect. And so the other great thing about human beings is we want to we want to learn new things, whether that's reading something that you wouldn't normally read or trying something that you wouldn't normally try. So, um, you know, I'll give the example, these are both physical examples, but I'll give the example of, you know, running a marathon. I have run eight half marathons and I was like, okay, I'm going to try to run a marathon. And I did, I didn't run it very fast, but I, but the training and the, the focus and the the persistence of staying with that goal and trying to accomplish it made me very, very uncomfortable many, many, many times. Same thing with riding Pelotonia. I rode Pelotonia this past weekend and did 100 miles um, for the first time. And so I think living uncomfortably is a, it needs to be um, very thoughtful and very purposeful. And a lot of people can go through life and just choose not to do that. And so I think for those of us that want to grow every day and um, be better leaders or just be overall better citizens, we need to be very purposeful about um, living uncomfortably. I think that's a great answer. It's one of the best I've ever heard to that question. And uh, Lisa, we really appreciate having you on the show today. Is there any last words you want to say before we wrap up here? Um, I, you know, I would say if you haven't been to White Castle in a while, I would encourage you to come. You might be very surprised by a lot of the cool stuff we have on the menu. Thank you for that, having me. That Belgian waffle. That's oh, great. It's so, yeah. so good. Belgian waffle sandwich. I'm, oh. I'm about to do there tomorrow morning. I'm telling you, it's so good. The, the chicken and we have a chicken and waffle. So it's a chicken, um, breast on the waffles with this gravy. Oh, it's really, really yummy. And then the <laughs> breakfast sliders. That, those are the two things. And I'm partial to the smoothies too. Um, that we have on our menu that a lot of people are like, really? I'm like, oh, yeah, you should go try it. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Lisa. Uh, Conquerors, thanks for listening. That's Lisa Ingram, CEO of White Castle. Hope you guys enjoyed the show, and we'll talk to you next week. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitchers, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. It'll make sure you never miss another episode of Conquering Columbus. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to say thanks to all of our incredible sponsors one more time. And that starts with our friends over at AWH. For those of you who haven't heard of AWH, they are a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm. And with over 22 years of experience, AWH collaborates with a variety of clients to drive desired business outcomes through great digital products. To find out more, check out awh.net and let them know Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors 
mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. For more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.